We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we're going to break down the Giants' Week 6 loss in the Patriots based on our extensive evaluation of the All-22 Coaches film. We do apologize for the delay, but we're only as good as NFL Game Pass, who decided to release the All-22 at the same time as all of the Week 6 games. Week six games. Uh, we're also going to briefly preview the Week 7 game against the Cardinals at MetLife Stadium. Big measuring stick for the Giants, a game I think they have to win, a game I think they should win. Before we dive into the specifics, it's important to note, my opinion at least, the Giants played really well overall in this game against the Patriots. This is one of their best games of the season from what I've seen. It was a close game, and in my mind, not for a few very costly turnovers on the offensive side of the ball by Daniel Jones. A solid amount of yardage left on the field, in my mind, by Hillman. A special teams gap that happens maybe once a season. I don't think we're going to see a punt block for a touchdown for the, uh, against the Giants again this year. And the Giants would have been in position to win this game. If that sounds crazy to you, I implore you, rewatch the All-22. Come back to me. Tell me if you don't see it, too, because it's there. Giants played a really good game. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, though, Nick. I think we have a lot to talk about. On both of the first two drives, Nick, I thought Hilleman was hesitant and or didn't read the blocking scheme correctly and left yards on the field. One ended in a punt after a third and one, where I do kind of wish Jones would have run up the middle just for a yard or two. Uh, so he said he got fooled by the cover, not fooled by the coverage, just great coverage by the Pats. The other drive ended after a bad first down run by Hillman that put them in second and long with an interception thrown in tight coverage to Golden Tate, one of three picks on the day. Nick, Hillman is currently dead last in pro football focuses elusive rating, a rating that defines a runner's production independent of his blocking 
uh, by combining the, his forced missed tackles with yards after first contact. Contact, I should say. For starters, do you feel also feel like Hillman left a lot of yards on the field in key spots in this game? Yeah, and on the opening drive, we saw it, man. On the second and one, Giants came out in 21 personnel. Hillman jump cut away from the B-gap, which was open. There was an alley for him to run through, and he just did not do that. He also did it to a pretty bad extent later on in the game. It seemed like he was just running blind, to be honest. There was a big opening. Granted, I'll give him one little fact is that Hernandez didn't do a great job blocking. This was in the fourth quarter, about mid in the fourth quarter. But there was a hole, and he jumped back inside, left yards on the field. I mean, this is something that when it comes to Jonathan Hilleman, we aren't surprised to see. We talked about why didn't Dave Gettleman go out and get someone like Buck Allen like he just did. We know Dave Gettleman. He trusts his guys. He trusted him. He got the opportunity, and now we're kind of seeing the fact that he's not an NFL running back. And when it comes to the Giants' offense and this, this game in general, you nailed it. Moral victories, they're for losers. They are. But with that being said, man— Rookie quarterbacks are 0-12 against Belichick and Foxborough, and Jones was the first quarterback to throw a touchdown pass against this highly revered and regarded defense on a short week nonetheless. If someone said Jones would only be sacked once, and really it wasn't even a real sack, we're going to be honest, he just scrambled back to the line of scrimmage and had no game, while Brady would be sacked three times, one being a strip sack for a touchdown, and the Giants would go into halftime, down by one score, getting the ball back, while only being down one score with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, on the road against the undefeated Patriots with no Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, or Wayne Gallman, Giants fans would have a run to sign up for that. But that neglects to mention three interceptions, costly fumble by Hilleman, blocked punt because Stupar got got on that play, or the highly questionable play calling and decision making by the coaching staff late in this game. I mean, I'm sorry, and I'm sure you can agree with me on this. You just can't punt the ball on a fourth and two down by two touchdowns with 7-0-8 to go with Tom Brady on the other team. That's just unacceptable, and it sealed the defeat. It really did, and that's just abysmal. Yeah, and if we'll get to all of that for sure. I kind of want to break it down a little bit more in depth, though, with all those key points getting hit. And you mentioned something that will help me transition to the next thing I wanted to talk about. And, you know, with Hillman, it's tough because he was productive in the preseason for them. And, you know, training camp practices are a lot different than the NFL game at full speed. So is the preseason. And we're learning that quickly uh, with Hillman. But what you mentioned, and I really think was true, is that comparatively speaking, the Giants' offensive line owned the line of scrimmage relative to the Patriots in this game. It sounds crazy against a team like the Pats, who, like you said, hadn't given up a passing touchdown this entire season until Daniel Jones threw one and had overall been the best defense in the NFL. But that's what you see when you look at the All-22. I mean, on the flip side of this thing, the Giants' run defense held the New England, by my charting, to triple the, the run plays for two yards or fewer, which I consider, you know, a failure in the run game. That's the way I'm using That's what I'm using as a barometer, two yards or fewer. And the Pats' run game, until the, really, until the end of this game, wasn't able to get going. And that's once the Giants' defense was deflated by like you said, a bad coaching decision to punt down 14 with seven minutes to go on fourth and two, which we'll get to. Um, and then just overall being on the field for so long in that second half. But, you know, against a really tough defensive front, I thought on both sides of the ball versus a tough offensive line and versus a tough defensive front, the Giants did a good job. I mean, in the run game, the Giants blocked some of these plays really well. You talk about some of the yards Hillman left on the field. The most egregious one was in the second half when they opened with a 10-yard gain to Hillman. This play was blocked so well that if Saquon Barkley was on the field, this is the type of game-changing plays you've seen from him. Last season, Barkley had nine plays of 40-plus yards. 
And honestly, they, I, I forgot the exact stat now, Nick. I wish I had it in front of me, but huh, there's only been, I think, three or four players who've had nine plays of 40-plus yards in a season. This was going to be another one of them. It was going to be an opening half touchdown run, kind of like we saw in the first play of the drive versus the Redskins last season, 75-yarder. But Hillman takes 10 out of it. There was another play where uh, Barkley also could have had the edge. Hillman left it on the field. But what did you see in general from the Giants' run blocking in this game and pass protection in the overall offensive line play? I mean, I wish the Giants had the ball more, to be honest. So we could see it materialize more. And the Giants' offensive line seemed more cohesive than they have throughout the other games. But granted, again, the time of possession was incredibly lopsided, so we didn't get to see a huge sample size. The Giants only had the ball for 20 minutes and 24 seconds, whereas the Patriots had it for 39-36. That's a big difference right there, a huge disparity in time of possession. But from what we did see, and if it was Saquon Barkley on the field— There could have been some huge runs in this game against a very vaunted defense on the road, and that is encouraging. Granted, there were some warts. We saw Kevin Zeitler get spun around by Dietrich Wise, who had one hell of a game. We saw Nate Solder fail on a couple run blocks. At least it came up to me a couple times. But overall, I feel like the unit played well, and it was encouraging to see. Yep, for sure. And it's interesting you mentioned the time possession because I really didn't feel watching this game like like the it's just it's such a classic Patriots game man. they find ways to keep the possession keep the time possession they're burning the play clock they're throwing tons of screens and they're just hitting the same play over and over the Giants defense and we'll get to that got burned by the same play three times for huge gains and so you know it was one of those games I thought that Brady played terribly I'm going to say that straight up he missed tons of throws I thought he was more inaccurate than Jones overall just on pure accuracy and ball placement overall I thought he hit a couple big plays that couple back shoulders. That's about it. But in addition to that, I kind of want to flip it to the other side. And, and and again, part of this for me was you saw it from this angle when you're watching the All-22 and you watch the end zone angle. The, the, the goalpost uh, flags are whipping through the wind the entire game. This was a windy, windy game. And that is not easy for quarterbacks to play through. So let's dive into Daniel Jones a bit here. I thought it was his most Jekyll and Hyde game for Jones by far. I mean, the Pats defense certainly fooled him a couple times, and we'll get to that. But in general, their pass coverage was just dominant to me. This is the best pass coverage I've seen by any team by far this season. There was just very little separation at any time, with the exception of one deep out to Ellison that started the third quarter. And then they tried that play again, and it was intercepted just to show you where the Pats are at as a defense. To me, all game, the separation was minimal, minimal even on the touchdown. But I want to say this, Nick, in a game like this that we both – described already as extremely close in a game that could have gone the Giants way the turnovers were extremely costly so you have three interceptions two of them on first and 10 which makes it even more costly I want you to break down some of these let's break down the first interception throw to Golden Tate over the middle after Hillman you know goes for one yard on first down leaves yardage on the field Yep, he leaves the yardage on the field. That's what Hillman intends to do. But it was the first quarter, 7.37 left. Patriots, they were showing heavy blitz with the A-gap, something they did a lot throughout this game. They had two, three techniques. So the Giants wanted to get the ball out of Daniel Jones' hand incredibly fast. The Patriots were in man coverage on the play. And they dropped number 55, John Simon, from the field side and man of the line of scrimmage to a middle hook zone to help prevent snags, drags, or anything within about five to six yards of the line of scrimmage over the middle. And the Giants came out in shotgun, 11 personnel, and they run mirrored concepts on each side of the field, post-flat combo. And to the H-back side, which was the side of the interception, the boundary, they ran a snag route. So the Giants offensive line, I felt, did an excellent job picking up the blitz, and DJ was just inaccurate. 
with his pass. It was high and outside. I was looking at the play, and I thought maybe the snag was supposed to be extended a little bit more horizontally, a few extra yards to provide Jones a larger window to throw to. But that did not happen. And then I thought maybe Jones just neglected to motion Tate, who was kind of tight to the line of scrimmage, out more towards the numbers to also provide a better angle, which would have provided a more advantageous window for Jones. But that did not happen either. And the pass just came high and outside, was tipped up in the air, and it was interception. It was pretty unfortunate. And not to mention, later on in the first quarter, he got lucky because he almost threw another interception. That one was to Cody Latimer. Latimer was the backside receiver in plus splits of about two. And when I say plus splits, I'm referring to the numbers. So uh, let me just explain this. So plus splits means two yards off of the numbers on the field. But it was a similar look that the Giants like to run. They isolate the backside receiver to the boundary and try to have him win a one-on-one matchup with a hitch or even more typically a slant or an inside breaking route. And that's what happened here. And DJ, right at the snap, eyed Lattimore down, which allowed Gilmore to easily read his eyes and read, react, and attack. And he did that. He attacked the ball, had his hips angled inside the whole time, waiting for an interception. And the Giants are really lucky that it wasn't a pick, even though Gilmore broke on it and forced the incompletion. Yeah, Nick, and while I wanted to kind of follow up with what I thought was the best throw of Jones' career, let's instead kind of break down all of these interceptions today. So that was the first one, and that was kind of the middling one for me. It was the least, it wasn't the least troubling, and it wasn't the most troubling. We can then talk about his second interception or the one where the Giants try to run the play action pass with just two routes. It's a really interesting play call. They have just two players going out on the routes, and I feel like throughout this year, I haven't seen enough of kind of an outlet of a running back on, on some of these play action deep drop, like trying to hit the big play. They try to hit the the deep over, a play that worked with Jones in the preseason when he hit Latimer. It's a play that worked with Jones against the Bucs. But in this play, the Patriots have it completely covered. They have it to the point where there's four defenders in coverage. So Jones kind of panics, doesn't panic, but kind of slides to his left, slides to his left. And then instead of just throwing it out of bounds earlier, taking off of his legs, kind of throws it, trying to throw it out of bounds. And it stays in the field of play for an interception. What did you see on that one, Nick? Yeah, man, I wasn't a fan of that play call whatsoever. Lined up in 13 personnel with a two-man route concept. And I understand they had two successful runs before that. But the two men came from a stack. Both receivers ran an initial inward stem that went vertical and broke towards the sideline on the boundary side of the field, where there's just not a lot of space, Dan. The receiver on the line of scrimmage, Slayton, ran it with about 10 more yards of depth than Tate, which created a natural high-low. But, I mean, it just kind of looks sloppy. And the Patriots, although in zone, too high coverage, easily dropped to the right depth to take away Tate, who was the underneath route, towards the boundary because there was no one underneath him to be a check down to A, hold the underneath defenders, and B, provide an easy outlet for Jones. And the end result of this play was the interception to Harmon, which was unfortunate. And again, Jones, the thing you have to knock him on here was you have to realize when to quit on a play. And he didn't on this play. Yeah, so we got two interceptions so far. The first one, high ball behind Tate, tipped interception. We'll blame that one fully on Jones. Um, Obviously, there's some circumstances. Second one, you know, rookie, in my opinion, just, you know, you got to get rid of the ball faster. But I'm not going to fully blame him. As you said, it's a terrible play call, and that has to be noted. Then let's talk about the third interception where, again, he tries that out to Ellison after hitting it earlier on the drive. And the Patriots just simply fool him. The corner drops into zone. He thinks he has man there. Uh, is there anything really to talk about there? That's kind of just, you know, a rookie mistake, something we'll see Jones improve as he understands the offense better, as he understands defensive coverages better, things like that. Yeah, I posted both these plays on Twitter in a in the same video. It was the third quarter, about 
30 left, something around there. And it was the same exact play that the Giants ran earlier in the drive where they picked up the first down to Ellison for that 18-yard gain on the first and 10. And this play again, a first and 10 with the same look from the defense right before the snap. The safeties roll to a cover two zone. Giants roll out with shotgun, 11 personnel running back to the field, H back to the boundary. Same look as before where the backside receiver Latimer runs the under route and the H-back runs the seven. I believe actually Ellison was in line on this one. On the first play, Gilmore carried Lattimore underneath the interception play, which was four plays later, he did not. And DJ figured he would, but Gilmore easily saw it coming and covered his responsibility. Another example of DJ going through some of these growing pains and realizing that Gilmore would not allow that to happen again. I mean, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Jones was fooled, and these are the rookie mistakes that are going to happen throughout the season. The thing I do love about Jones is that he seems to be the kind of guy who gets fooled and doesn't make that same mistake again. So let's hope he doesn't allow this kind of play to happen another time. Yeah, that's actually something that Pat Shermer mentioned he was most impressed with on Jones, that ability to kind of, you know, let that last play go and not let it, you know, bother him, A, and B, not make that same mistake from a mental standpoint. But, you know, in the middle of all of this, and obviously we're going a little bit out of order in the game, um, but with the Giants down multiple scores here after, you know, punt block for a touchdown and then an interception that gives the Patriots a short field first and 10 at the 22 of the Giants that's really how the Pats got up 14 nothing that's how close this game was that's how close the Giants were actually winning a game like this against the undefeated Patriots on the road on Thursday night football short rest primetime game in Foxborough like and anyway, so then he throws the best throw of his career by far, in my opinion. It's the touchdown pass to Tate. So I'm just going to start by letting you break this one down, Nick. Yeah, it was a beautiful throw. Down 14 nothing with 622 left in the first half. While the Giants are running up-tempo, something we saw them do against the Vikings. They run a play-action shot against man coverage to the field, something we know and we've seen Jones loves to do. We've seen Jones do this before in the past. He loves throwing people open towards the field side. Giants come out in 11 personnel, tight end to the boundary, running back to the field, a familiar look, with two wide receivers to the field, one of them being Tate in the slot, who runs the vertical angled outside where there is a ton of space to operate. The number one, Slayton, cuts his vertical route off, giving Tate more field to operate with towards the sideline. Jones throws a really good ball, puts it on the upfield shoulder of Tate, which assists in throwing him open against the coverage with only the single high safety to beat to the end zone, which Tate does. Very impressive throw, very impressive catch. I'm glad Tate was able to get into the end zone, beat the safety, and get six points for the Giants. Yeah, Nick, I mean, the things that stood out to me about this throw, when you look at it from both angles that they give you on the All-22, especially that end zone angle, this ball just drops perfectly in with no separation. NFL Next Gen stats, you look at it, it was one of the most improbable throws of the entire season. Had about one and a half yards, I think it was actually less than that, of separation. That's how few that's how close the defender was in coverage to Tate that ball has to be perfect there's no other throw there that leads to a touchdown and that's the one but really what stood out to me and longtime listeners of the big blue banter podcast from the very start will understand this and they'll be interested to hear this I think it's the concept it's the route it's the play call because when Pat Shermer was hired what we talked about extensively was the usage of plays like this smash routes vertical routes out of the slot it's what made Pat Shermer so successful in Minnesota with Case Keenum, a quarterback who doesn't even throw this route that well. And it's something we just want, we wanted to see. It's something we thought we would see, and we just didn't see it last year with Eli Manning. 
This is not a referendum on Manning. But that ball was just not thrown. The, those plays were just not made. Vertical touchdowns out of the slot were just not made. And we see one this week against the best pass defense, one that hasn't given up a passing touchdown. To me, I don't know how you can't look at that as an extremely positive sign. And I think the vertical routes out of the slot will only continue going forward. I think we're only going to see more big plays. I think we're going to see one this week against the Cardinals defense. I'm calling it right now. Big vertical play out of the slot. Maybe not a 64-yard touchdown, but a big play for sure. 20-plus yards, calling it now. Because this is what Pat Shermer's offense is predicated on, and now they have a quarterback who can throw balls like this and who can make plays like this. So, to me, best throw of his career by far. Let's flip it over, though, Nick. I want to talk about what I mentioned earlier. How the Giants were kind of burned three times in one half on these deep over routes. It's something we saw against the Vikings constantly. It's something we saw twice with Edelman, once with Jacoby Myers. I asked Carl Banks about this on Twitter, former Giants linebacker, uh, who I've you know, kind of established a working relationship with. We talk a little bit in DMs. We like to talk about the game as well from this schematic standpoint. And to him, it's not a schematic issue. It's kind of a personnel issue and it's easily correctable. Where do you stand on the Giants getting beat by these deep overs over and over again? No pun intended. And can you kind of break down for fans what these kind of deep over routes are and, you know, how it might in, how it might be countered by what the Giants do schematically with Betcher? Yeah, so a lot of these deep over routes the Giants have been beat by over the last two weeks have been built off the play action pass. So basically when you're doing play action, you're sucking the linebackers up because they think it's a run. And Jabril Peppers as well, because he is a little bit more aggressive. They get sucked towards the line of scrimmage. So what happens is they have their eyes on the backfield, and then they realize running back does not have the ball. So they have to drop back, and that creates space between the linebackers and the receiver. So it's the receiver's job, usually from the slot or the backside, to run over the linebackers and in between the safeties. And that's exactly what has been happening. And there's a void in the defense. And just a little touch pass is the only thing that's needed to kind of just get right behind the linebackers and right in front of the safeties. And we've seen this kind of happen time and time again against the Giants defense. So what would need to happen, especially off the play action, is the linebackers, once they realize, oh, this is not a run, they need to get to the proper depth and eliminate these horizontal crosses, something that we haven't necessarily seen. I think David Mayo played excellent this game, but it's something that he was really exposed on in the Minnesota game. I think when it comes to the personnel issues, when it comes to some of the man coverage issues, the Giants need to be cognizant of the fact that they have been susceptible to these horizontal routes. They maybe need to play with a little bit more of inside leverage to prevent that, and especially off the play action, like I said before, not to reiterate, they need to get to the proper depth and they need to be aware of the fact that it's going to be coming from the backside and it's going to be coming from the slot because it's something that's been exposed the last few weeks. Yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. And while we're on him, let's talk about David Mayo. I thought had a much better first half and second half, but overall a really strong game specifically against the run. What did you see from Mayo? Now, Mayo was incredibly strong against the run. He showed impressive ability to keep his chest clean while also pursuing from the backside. Down the line of scrimmage, he works through trash incredibly well. And when I say that, that means when there's people at his feet and all around him, he's able to get through that unscathed and locate the ball carrier. He showed, again, high mental processing, processing the game, and locating the running backs. Things that concern me about David Mayo, especially in the Minnesota game, is some lapses in coverage. He is susceptible to being exposed when it comes to making a decision based on looks that he's seen before 
and then going with that decision. I posted it on Twitter. The Minnesota Vikings kept running play-action bootlegs, and he leaked out on one that was not a play-action. He didn't realize that Alexander Madison had the ball, and he just ran after Herb Smith, who was running a fake, and it left the linebackers incredibly exposed, and I believe Madison had a 19-yard run. Another thing about Mayo is his tackling mechanics in space. I think he's incredibly effective going down towards the line of scrimmage and being incredibly physical. But in space, he kind of leaves his feet a lot, and it leaves him susceptible to being juked out, which we have seen. We saw it actually against Sony Michelle uh, when the Patriots used pre-snap motion to put Michelle to the number three, and they ran double slants, and he was on man coverage on Michelle, and he was hesitant. This was on the first drive of the game to locate Michelle. Once he ended up realizing, okay, I got to get out there, he runs out there. There's traffic because of the slants. Gets to Michelle. Michelle back jukes, and Mayo goes flying out of bounds. Michelle picks up another six yards. Those are just little things about Mayo. But there's a reason he was on the free agent wire. But I think he's a very valuable piece to this defense as currently constructed. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's not a perfect player. He's not going to be, but I think it's an excellent value find by Dave Gettleman and his staff. He's playing a lot better football than, you know, what you can expect from someone who they acquired at that stage. And kind of reminds me of when they signed Jamon Brown last season uh, to play right guard. And also, one other note here, Nick, you know, he's obviously not a perfect player, and he has his faults. Uh, and I'm talking about Alec Ogletree here, and I'm not even sure he'll be on the team next year. I'm not sure I would say I would advise for him to be. But it is night and day having him on the field versus Nate Stupar and all the guys they tried putting in against the Vikings. It just changes the entire defense uh, to have him on the field. His leadership, his ability to blitz, which we'll get to in a moment, um, and just the, his ability to to kind of go sideline to sideline to clean up plays that are just limiting bigger plays underneath that word. You know, the Giants were really exposed on with the linebackers, you know, the, the undrafted free agent type talents they had out there, the stoop bars of the world in, in games past against the Vikings. So that's something, you know, people have taken for granted because they all they want to do is focus on the negative. It's kind of like the Nate Soldier situation where fans just don't realize how bad things can get. And even when they're presented with it, like in the game against the Vikings, where the linebacker play was really the worst it's ever been almost, at least under Betcher for sure, they still don't appreciate it. So it's just something I wanted to note because it's important there. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Grant Haley here, who impressed me because with the Giants only down 14-7, when they tied it up 14-14, which we'll obviously get to the play, uh, how they did it, but really it was set up by Haley working through the trash to stop Edelman in a two yard for a two yard loss on a screen on first and 10 that sets up the second and 12 where the Giants can pin their ears back and get that sack forced fumble touchdown. So talk about Haley and, you know, why he's still on the field despite, you know, having his lapses in coverage. I posted a clip on Twitter actually about Grant Haley and how he was able to physically bring down people at the line of scrimmage and in space. He's incredibly effective at doing that. I believe you retweeted it, so thank you for that, Dan. But Haley brings a level of physicality to this defense at five foot nine, one ninety that we've kind of talked about a lot on this podcast, but that is very valued by James Betcher. It's very valued by Dave Gettleman. It's the reason that he plays the amount of snaps that he does. Haley's out there on nickel packages all the time. He played 60 defensive snaps in this game. So when I look at Grant Haley, yes, he is a liability in coverage. He's small and he's not as good at keeping up with bigger faster receivers and it's kind of been shown and we saw it in the Redskin game when they tried to hit Trey Quinn deep twice we saw it in the Vikings game on the touchdown and we saw it even in this game when he gave up the fourth down catch and there was a couple times when the Patriots were attacking him he is the weak link in the passing game to attack but I think the Giants value his physicality what he can do against the run and his ability to diagnose these running plays and attack really really hard down towards the line of scrimmage to make these tackles it's something that they put very high 
but Giants don't really have a lot of other options behind him. A lot of these other guys aren't ready yet, and I know Giants fans want to see Julian Love play safety. I know Giants fans want to see Ballantyne and Sam Beal when Sam Beal actually gets back, but they're not ready yet, and Grant Haley is that guy, and he does bring a really effective level to the run support aspect of playing cornerback, something that a lot of corners do not do, and he does it at his diminutive size. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid talking about it altogether with things like, I had a long day at work. Or, sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple as well. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com dot com slash blue wire for a free visit to get started get roman.com slash blue wire when you're selling online getting your orders out can be a real pain time consuming expensive so many carriers to choose from how do you know you're making the best choice that's why you need shipstation.com it's the fastest easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy, which you love. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Big Blue Banter listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Yeah, and then because of that, he's going to remain on the field for a little bit, guys. And it's just kind of the situation. He's making enough of these huge plays. Like, again, 
it sets up the second and 12, and we'll talk about it, where the Giants have the force fumble, return for a touchdown. And that doesn't happen, I don't think, without Haley stopping that first down. Let's say even Edelman breaks free there against Love or whoever's in the game for a six-yard gain. I don't think we see a forced fumble on the next play because the Giants can't do what they were able to do. And that's, let's talk about it, Lorenzo Carter. You know, one of his not coming out of college was that he's not a complete pass rusher. He's raw. You know, his former teammate, uh, Giants in Georgia, Aaron Davis, referred to him as the LeBron James. I mean, he's 6'5", 250, 4'6", speed, explosive jumps. But what we saw on that strip sack TD was what everyone was questioning, his ability to bend the edge. And he does an awesome job and shows off his athleticism there. So let's talk a a little bit about Carter more in this game, who, by the way, also did an excellent job later to blow up a Pats third and three, where they try to pitch play outside to James White. That eventually led to a fourth down where they did not convert. So he made two of the biggest plays of the game. So talk a little bit about Carter in this one, who I thought, you know, had an excellent game. Yeah, Lorenzo Carter had his best game as a Giant, showing incredible lower body flexion and impressive burst up the arc while also displaying very good fluidity in his hips. He turned corners and squared his hips to the pocket on a few different plays in this game, but none more exciting than the strip sack that led to the golden touchdown on a second and 12 shotgun play. Lawrence on this play actually commanded a double team, which isolated Carter 1v1 against Ryan Izzo, who's a tight end. Carter dominated Izzo all game. I believe it was Izzo who was the one blocking Carter on that play to James White that you just mentioned. And Carter hits this young tight end on the strip sap with a long arm drive. So he hits him with a long arm, drives his legs, and then he snatches his outside arm down with an impressive rip move to follow to gain the edge. And that means Carter swivels his hips towards the pocket, gets it angled towards Brady, nails Brady, gets the strip sack, and the Giants made that game much, much more interesting because of this play. Another big play by Carter was on the 4th and 7 with 4.20 left in the third quarter. The Pats were in trio to the field, and they attacked Haley. This is the play I was just referring to with Haley. Luckily for them, Patriots that is, Brady's release was super quick because Carter beat Newhouse up the arc with speed and then utilized a strong swipe of Newhouse's outside arm that got the offensive tackle off balance and created space for Lorenzo to flip his hips. And he was about a millisecond away from nailing Brady and forcing a turnover on downs. Brady got rid of the ball and the Giants had to be on the field longer when it comes to their defense because Haley gave up the pass and it was a first down. Yep. And again, great game for Carter. Let's talk about a player who had more of a Jekyll and Hyde game, similar to Jones in that sense. That's Jabril Peppers. Um, Once again, I thought he did an unbelievable job as that alley defender and in run in the Giants run defense. I think it would have been cash without him, this Giants run defense. I think he's a key member of the run defense, just like Landon Collins was last year. Having said that though, Nick, we both saw some things about uh some things to be a little bit concerned about when it comes to Pepper's pass coverage. Can you talk a little bit more about them? Well, yes. First, I want to touch on how Peppers is an excellent alley defender and he sees run plays break down and he shoots aggressively and he's very, very fast and he's very, very physical. But that is used against him when it is a play action pass, which you see on the film. Peppers will think it's going to be a run. He goes towards the line of scrimmage and then he's just left scrambling. And I've seen it a couple times where he's dropping back in the zone, back turned towards the quarterback, just looking for someone to cover. And he's kind of just out of position, it seems like. And there have been times in this game where I feel like he might have gotten his assignments mixed up. I believe it happened one play against the Vikings as well. So when it comes to him in coverage, I'm paying close attention to what his assignments could possibly be because I'm not 100% sure if he's always 
executing his assignments at a high level. With that being said, incredibly effective near the line of scrimmage, and that's why Michigan used him in the box a lot. But in space, sometimes, now it's kind of been shown on some of the bigger plays, third down plays, he's been liable to be juked out. He goes low, he hits hard, but sometimes he doesn't fully wrap up. And it happened in this game, it happened in the Vikings game, and it's something that I hope he corrects. And I think he will correct it because he seems like a player, takes his job incredibly seriously, a leader on that defense. But I would like to see him be a little bit more of a sure tackler in space. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, there's some things that I think, you know, fan from the look at him, you know, just the big play that people are getting on him for was the third and six for the Patriots. That game still tied at 14-14 just before the halftime. You know, gives if he makes a play, it would give the Giants a chance to get into half tied. But, you know, on this play where it's a sort of a missed tackle, people will call it, um, he starts the play. I don't think people understand this. Bluffing blitz in the A-gap. He's lined up like a middle linebacker right over the center in the A-gap. And he has to go, he has to then rush to the flat to stop James White, who gets thrown in the flat. And White all game proved to be hard to tackle on first contact this game. Multiple Giants players weren't able to do it. This has been his MO for a while. He's built low to the ground White. He's really good contact balance. Really what's helped him make his entire career in addition to his short hands and route running. And so he has to make a play all the way from bluffing blitz in the A-gap to the flat. And he overruns it. And I'm just not going to, you know, it's hard to ask a player to bluff, bluff blitz in the A-gap and then br- rush out to the flat to make a tackle. But, you know, that's kind of the play that people are getting on him for. For me, for me and you, Nick, it's more of just him being a little too aggressive in the play action game um, and just being out of position uh, more so than that kind of missed tackle in the flat. Um, but, you know, let's first fast forward a little bit now because we're, we're on the second quarter. And something that stood out to me was, you know, the Giants got the ball back down 21-14 after a really good defensive stop by the run defense that, you know, led to a Patriots missed field goal. Obviously, we talked about the pitch play that didn't work by them that led to the missed field goal um, on their second, on their first offensive possession after the Giants threw an interception to start the third quarter. This possession almost killed the entire clock, so it led to just... What, the Giants only had two offensive possessions in the third quarter. This is part of what killed them in this game, just not enough opportunities. But I do want to talk about uh, that that possession because they, they got out of a first and 20 hole with a phantom uh, holding call on Will Hernandez. I call it a phantom call because multiple NFL offensive linemen who were watching the primetime game on Twitter said it was a bullshit call. Uh, so anyway, third and six, Jones converts, tight coverage to Slayton. But the drive slows down on first and 10 where it's a zone read option play, and Jones gives it to Hillman, who, get, again, leaves yardage on the field, two-yard gain, gets them in second and eight, where the next following play, Zeitler gets beat clean, and they forced an incompletion. Um, you talked about that earlier with Dietrich Wise. But on this play, I've rewatched it a few times, Nick. It's probably one of the four, fourth, fifth, maybe sixth play I've seen this year, where if Jones keeps the ball in a keeper, it's a big, big rushing game for him uh, around the edge. So why do you think we haven't seen him keep any of these own reads so far? I'm not really 100% sure, to be honest. I feel like he see he maybe needs to slow it down and read the guy cleanly because especially it was really evident earlier on in the Buccaneers game, especially towards the goal line the one time uh, when Noah Spence, I think it was, crashed down so hard and it was just so appetizing for Jones to take the ball around the edge and would have been an easy touchdown on that play. Granted, he did have a rushing touchdown in that game. I'm not really too sure why he has been hesitant to do that. I'm guessing he trusts his offensive line and I'm not 100% sure why he might have a lot of trust in Hilleman, but he may have a lot of trust in Hilleman on those plays and he just thinks, and maybe he's being instructed by his coaching staff to, hey, if you do see 
you could get some yards on this play from giving it to the running back, give it to him. But I, I have questioned that as well. Yeah, it's something we have to think we have to we have to definitely consider because maybe I, it has to to me it has to be something with the coaching because I watched these plays at Duke and he did keep them and he showed no hesitancy to run with the football at Duke and he's shown no hesitancy I should say to scramble and run with the football head first for the Giants on play passing plays breakdown. But it does seem like there is a hesitancy to, or either he's misreading these the defensive end, which I don't think is the case because again he read it well at Duke. Or the Giants are telling him not to keep these right now. But I think at this point with where they're at, then he needs to keep one one or two of these. Maybe one per game, I should say. I shouldn't say one or two because you don't want him running with the football too much. But they need to at least show the defense that they're that they're willing to keep the ball um, on these own read keepers. Something else I wanted to transition to, Nick, because obviously that, that drive was then blown up. And then, and then, you know, we're already at the fourth quarter now and the Patriots are up 21-14 and and I, something that that I believe kept the Giants in this game, Nick, that I want to transition to, was their run defense overall. I talked about it earlier um, because, again, on this next drive where the Patriots eventually went, uh, did not convert the fourth down, it's only there. This drive is only possible because of the run defense. And in my opinion, really, it was the best game by far by the run defense. Now, when I look back and try to figure it out, is it the progression of Dalvin Tomlinson? Uh, Dexter Lawrence, B.J. Hill, and obviously it's some big plays we said by both Mayo, Carter, and even and obviously Jerome Peppers in the run game. Or is it just that you know the Giants' run defense is better against teams that line up in heavier personnel with tight formations? That's what the Patriots tried to do against the Giants, and it just simply wasn't working. Why do you think we saw such a jump from this run defense in this game? I think it is a combination of what you just said and the fact that the Patriots are a little bit beat up along the offensive line. And I mean, the Patriots are going to do Patriot things. They have a ton of variety in their rushing attack, a heck of a lot of pre-snap movement and motions to put their players in positions to succeed, as we've seen throughout that Thursday night game. But the Giants didn't want to get beat by Julian Edelman when it came to the pass. So they double covered him. They bracketed him on a few different plays. But against the run, the Giants were confident in the trench battle. The Giants seem to get the better of guys like Marshall Newhouse and Shaq Mason. I feel like Joe Tooney had a pretty good game from what I saw, but we saw big plays from Lawrence Mayo, as you said, and Tomlinson. And it was evident on that first drive of the Patriots. Third and short on the Pats opening drive where the Pats were, I believe they were 22 personnel. They hit I formation inside zone. Giants came out with Tomlinson at the one tech, Lawrence at the three tech and Hill at the play side three tech. So they had one and two threes. Tomlinson makes that tackle, but it was actually the rookie, Dexter Lawrence, penetrating the backside A gap, along with Ogletree on a blitz to the playside B gap that allowed Tomlinson to win his 1v1 matchup against Shaq Mason. And that set up that fourth and one where Tomlinson was at the one tech, D-Law at two I tech. And Hill was at the play side three tech. Tomlinson avoids the cut at the line of scrimmage and showed excellent pursuit to chase Michelle from the backside and make the tackle along with Mayo, who scraped over the top. I believe it's just kind of this unit coming together cohesively. They get Alec Ogletree back. And the fact that the Patriots do like to line up in heavier personnel. These are bigger guys. A lot of the talent are 340 pounds, 310 pound players. So spreading them out making them run would be better, but the Patriots do not play that way right now. That's not how they're currently constructed. So their run defense was put in a good position against an offensive line that is beat up and injured and they capitalized. And that's what you want to see from a young defense. Yeah, no doubt. And Dalvin Tomlinson, I thought had his best game of the season for the Giants. He's proving to be a more valuable player than I thought he would be going into the season based on what I saw in 2018, which 
didn't really see a total fit for him in this scheme um, and this system just based on how often the Giants have just two of those interior uh, big interior guys on the on the field. But in a game like this where the Patriots are going to play heavy personnel, it just helps. I mean, it just makes the Giants work better because they can afford to have those guys on the field. We I want to fast forward a bit, Nick, to, you know, later in the game, Giants still only down seven points with like nine minutes to go or 10 minutes to go, nine minutes ago, I believe, in the fourth quarter. This is how close this game was. That's how crazy it was. Like, and just a terrible series for the Giants, I thought. And I want to put the blame on Pat Shermer here because on second and 10, he runs the ball to Hillman. A second and 10 run play, when you have it, I hate it no matter what. I'll start by saying that. I don't think you should ever be running the ball on second and 10. I just think it's a dumb down to run the ball. It never makes any sense, especially from every type personnel like they tried to do. And then especially when you have Hillman in the game, who you've seen, you have to have seen on tape. He's just left so many yards on the field at this point. It's so late in the game. It's a two-yard gain. It's terrible, and it's third and eight, and Shermer make Shermer decides to throw a screen to Hillman. The screens have not been working all season for the Giants. Eli, Jones, screens just aren't working. They tried to the right side. They've had, like, one positive play here. It was, like, a nine-yard gain to, Rash- uh, to, to Eli Penny. But otherwise, these screens have been terrible. And so, you know, it turns into Hillman fumbles, get scoop and score, game's the game's not over because they're still only down 14.7 minutes, but it changes the whole game. Um, so what did you make of this play call in this series of play calls by Shermer? Is there anything you would have done differently here? I mean, I would have liked to see Shermer attack downfield a little bit more and not put so much on freaking Jonathan Hilleman, if we're going to be really honest on that play. I mean, a little slip, slip screen in the second and 10 run in a such a high leverage position. That is something that Yes, if it was Saquon Barkley, that is okay. But Jonathan Hilleman, a guy that you really don't want to give the ball to anyways, that's not something that you want to do. So I really hated that. And again, on that specific play, just like we talked about last week, we saw the defense scheme Hernandez and Solder to the left side of the line for a 2v3. So it was just Hernandez and Solder against three defenders. Same thing that we saw because they brought a DB blitz to fool the offensive line. They had, I want to say, Van Noy was in the A-gap showing blitz, which had to hold Jalapio there prevented Jalapio from sliding left. And the Patriots brought Deron Harmon on that blitz to the left side with a tackle end stunt from Shaq Calhoun and Dietrich Wise Jr. And again, Wise had one hell of a game. But that overloaded that left side and forced Jones to get rid of the ball a bit prematurely to the right side. There was no time for Jones to realize Tate was actually kind of coming open on a drag. The blocks never had any time to develop. And Hilleman, Hilleman, I mean, Hilleman because he, coughed it up like a 21-year-old doing his first freaking shot at the bar. And that was the instance of the Patriots defense doing incredible things early on. And I mean, seriously, that defense is one of the best in recent memories. But yeah, when it comes to Sherman, the play calling on that specific drive, it was not a good look. And he's come under a lot of scrutiny and rightfully so, because that's a high leverage. That's where you get paid to make the right calls and put your players in the best positions. And he just failed to do it right there. Yeah, and I love that reference, Nick. It made me laugh. But I do just think overall, again, like I'm not asking for another smash route or vertical route down the slot because, listen, Patriots' pass coverage was elite all game. Elite. There was no separation. But when you're down seven points and you're in this game with nine minutes ago or ten minutes ago, whatever it was at that point in the fourth quarter, and you're two, and two of your three plays before three and out are designed to Jonathan Hilleman, you're just not making the right calls. There are better players to get involved there. You know, run a fucking run a freaking zone read option with Jones. Let him pick up a first down here. Have a play where he's designed to roll out and he has a runner pass option. There's just 
too many options there that are better than Hillman Hillman on second and third down uh, in my book. And then, you know, as we move forward, just another inexcusable decision. And I ranted about this. I didn't rant about this. I made one tweet about it. I should have ranted about it on Twitter. But when you're down 14 points with 708 and you are pressed with a fourth and two, you need to have something in your playbook from your own 30 yard line that can get you two freaking yards on fourth and two. You have to have a play design down 14 points. That's just two scores with seven minutes. Punting there makes no sense by any means. It's a terrible coaching decision. It's an inexcusable coaching decision, and it really is alarming. Uh, Nick, is there anything I got wrong there, or what, like how, what's going on in this? <laughs> no, you didn't get anything wrong there. I mean, you're basically giving the game to the Patriots right there. I mean, the Giants were in a position right there to pick that up, and yes, what is a, was it a long shot to score 14 points with seven minutes to go with Tom Brady on this, the other side? Yes, but why would you punt the opportunity away with Tom Brady on the other side Basically saying, yeah, we're done with this game. That was absolutely asinine, and it pissed me off. I'm sure it pissed most of Giants Nation off. Absolutely fuck that. That was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, listen, Shermer, there's positives and negatives with him. I think he has some pretty good design offensively. I think he has some really good moments where he gets in grooves with his play calling, and he's really you know, unique and not necessarily just unique, just efficient with his play calling. I think there are really good spots for him. Better than I ever saw with McAdoo. Way better than I ever saw with McAdoo. McAdoo never had good grooves of play calling. McAdoo's play calls were just uh, flats and in, you know, slants, flats and in the entire game. Uh, Get rid of the ball in a second. So there are positives, but as far as just his job he's doing with, you know, making big time decisions like this as a head coach while also calling the plays, I think at some point the Giants have to reevaluate it because you know they're not going to get rid of Shermer. This is a franchise that did not want to get rid of Ben McAdoo after two years. That was the last case scenario. It's the last thing they wanted to do. It was the last resort. They had to do it. And their next coach was not going to be a one, two-year experiment again unless it was a total disaster. And this is not a total disaster. We just talked a whole podcast about how close they were to beating the Patriots on the road on short rest in prime time where Bill Belichick is 12-0 against rookie quarterbacks. But, you know, this team is moving in the right direction as far as I'm concerned, and I don't think it's even close. I know some people still disagree on Twitter, but, you know, I don't think they're really – I think they're hanging on to old takes, really, and they're having what I what I like to call in the fantasy football community is take lock. You get locked on to one of your takes and you die with it no matter what. But as far as these type of decisions go, you just can't make a decision that poor in the moment there. There has to be a two-yard play in your playbook. There has to be a play where you can get two yards out of it. There just has to be. It's just two yards. It's it's doable in a lot of ways. There are tons of routes that the Patriots have thrown over the years to get them that quick two yards. They did it against the Giants, too. They threw a quick screen earlier in the game on third and five where James White motions back from the far hash, uh, all the, for the far boundary, all the way back inside for a quick, easy five yards. I mean, there's plays that you got to come up with there. That's your job as a coach. Anything else to talk about, Nick? I know, you know, we could talk about on the last possession where Jones did a good job hanging in the pocket and hitting Tate on a deep crosser that he was interfered with. No, no pass interference call. But, you know, that, that was down 14. The game was or down at maybe 21 at that point, And the game was out of hand. Is there anything else you missed on before we go into the questions from listeners? Yeah, I'll tell you, man, the refs did not have a good week six. We can just go with that. But I wanted to bring up yeah. one play by Michael Thomas because just because he could have had that fumble there. I mean, he showed a lot of physicality and probably should have had a forced fumble and a recovery. And I know he complained about how it was not called and said that you're taking food off my family's plate and stuff like that. I'm not sure if that's the exact thing he said, but he was basically saying, like, look, I need these stats. It was the play with on the second and seven with 347 left in the first quarter. 
Pats and 11 personnel, Edelman and Gordon were close to the line of scrimmage, and Gordon releases upfield from the number two receiver position, and Edelman did a simple bubble outside from the number three position. But the Patriots were hoping Michael Thomas would ride Gordon up the vertical, which would have vacated that area and allowed for Edelman to have a ton of space to work with. But Thomas used his vision, saw the bubble materialize, and he came off Gordon and aggressively nailed Julian Edelman, attacked the screen and forced the incompletion, thought it was a fumble. At least he did. And it was just one of those things where I was like, you know what? I'm going to give him a shout on the podcast. Yeah, he deserves it. Michael Thomas makes plays when he's in the game. And he's a good guy you want on your roster. Giants signed him under the radar. Dave Gettleman's first season, in my opinion, was an excellent signing. He's one of their best special teams players. Can fill in in a pinch in that defensive backfield when they play sub-package, which, again, it's like 80% of the time with James Batcher. So, really, another quality signing for... Um, you know, a much, much maligned general manager who, in my opinion, has done a much better job than people give him credit for on an overall basis. But anyway, Nick, let's transition now. Questions from the listeners. We'll start with Ivan Rupi, uh, who asked, where exactly did Darius Slayton rank as a wide receiver coming out into the draft? I've never heard of him, and I don't recall anyone having him in their mock drafts. Give me the impression that he's probably going to be a steal and a great late round pick by Dave Gettleman. Where do you guys stand? I mean, Darius Slayton, again, he came from Auburn, so their offense isn't exactly one that puts their receivers in the best place to maximize their skill sets, I guess is one way to put it. But his prospect grade on NFL.com was what I believe it was a 5.65. I paid pretty close attention to the draft. I heard of Darius Slayton coming out, but he was definitely somebody who was a late day three pick. At least that's what a lot of people said. No one really was giving him a lot of the props, but he landed in a situation where the receiving core isn't exactly fruitful with talent, uh, especially when they're really dinged up. So I think it was a really good pick by Gettleman to realize that he was maybe being misused at Auburn or just not maximized at Auburn and that the Giants could maximize his skill set, his speed, his ability to release off the line of scrimmage, things that he's shown so far this season. So I love the fact that he fell to the fifth round. (laughs) I'm sure you do too, Dan. Yeah, I mean, just to clarify what Nick was saying before, Lance Zerline, uh, NFL.com, does a really good job with these grades. Uh, actually, you know, I was looking it up yesterday to see his grade of Will Hernandez, the Giants' second-round pick of 2018, versus Austin Corbett, who the Browns selected at 31 pick before uh, Hernandez, because the Browns, you know, great, this great general manager, John Dorsey, who supposedly ripped the Giants off all offseason, the guy who's doing it right, but meanwhile neglected his offensive line, traded his best offensive lineman to the Giants, and then yesterday in the NFL traded Austin Corbett, a guy who he selected in the second round, one pick before Hernandez for pennies on the dollar uh, yesterday. So I want to look those two up. But anyway, long story short, the 5.65 grade that Nick's talking about with Slayton basically is Lance Erland saying he has a chance to become a starter. So basically the issue, the book on Slayton was this. He was an athletic freak, um, which in my opinion, as I said at the time of the draft, is what you want to bank on in those late rounds. You don't want to take these Keelan Dosses. Keelan Dawson types who have all this kind of, and I actually like him. I think he separates pretty well. So I don't want to use him as an example, but you don't want to take these like uber productive college receivers um, because you'd, you're, you'd rather bank on the idea that Gettleman banked on here, which is we can turn talent into an NFL player with the right coaching and the right opportunity. He ran a 439 40-yard dash, unbelievable, at six foot one, 190, super lengthy, had a 135-inch broad jump, which is insane, a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, which we've seen in the preseason. And really, it seems like the major issues he had were the hands. He had a lot of drop passes at college on very few opportunities, which made it seem even worse, because in that Auburn offense, they didn't pass the ball until this season, and he wasn't used very well. 
And the hands have been fine. I mean, he made an awesome catch in tight coverage on a third and six against the Patriots that really, you know, you would expect him to drop based on his scouting report and based on what you saw. And, you know, so one of the funniest things about the scouting report from from uh, Lance Erland is that it said he had problems countering DeAndre Baker's tenacious coverage uh, when Auburn played Georgia in a few matchups. So it was interesting just to see that considering now they're teammates. But, yeah, again, Slayton was just a guy you take you take you take a shot on, in my opinion, in that in that fourth day, or sorry, third day of the draft, because you always want to bank on that kind of talent. And really, he was just freakish athletic ability. Um, John Rodriguez asks, for the offense, can you and Nick touch on Darius Slayton's development and his chemistry with D- Daniel Jones? Does he get more opportunities when Shepard comes back? I wouldn't say he gets more opportunities because, again, the Giants don't pass the ball every single play. They're not like some of these other offenses, and Shepard's going to command a higher target share than Slayton. But as for his development and chemistry, I mean, he's really shown a lot with Daniel Jones. I'm sure you would agree as well, Dan. And he's developed more than I originally thought when we did draft him. But I feel like, Dan, you did a really good job explaining his situation just a few seconds ago. I feel like Slayton will continue to develop continue to build this chemistry with DJ and I love him as that more X option whereas Shepard more operates in the slot or as a Z receiver. Yeah, no doubt. And I think what's really most interesting about Slayton is how fast he's developed, really. The chemistry is one thing with Daniel Jones, because that's just going to happen when receiver and quarterback work together from the start of rookie minicamp all the way through this point. But his development as an actual receiver, especially with regards to his concentration and his hands, is extremely impressive. Remember, he was the guy who made headlines during rookie minicamp and during OTAs is the guy who kept dropping passes and having those mental lapses and issues. And just to see him, you know, put it all together so fast is a really great sign for a fifth round pick. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, Moving on, Nick, uh, sorry, John Rodriguez also wants to know, how is the addition of Dexter Lawrence, who, by the way, guys, is the highest graded rookie defensive lineman in a draft that had Quinnen Williams to the Jets in a draft that had Guys like Quinnen Williams, you know, there's a few others who now we're probably, I'm probably blanking on who, who factor more in that interior range, but he's the highest graded pro football focused rookie and the eighth highest graded interior defensive lineman. And that includes, you know, three, four and four, three schemes of all NFL players, not just rookies through week six of the NFL season. So for all you people who were down on that pick, I think it's finally time for you to die, to to not die on that hill and to kind of jump (laughs) on the bandwagon. But anyway, Partly time for you to die. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't die. I don't want you to die. I was going to say die on that hill, but really it's the opposite. I don't want you to die on that hill. I want you to jump on the bandwagon because at this point we know where we're at. But let's get to John's question here, Nick, because I went a little bit off track there. It's got a little heated, got a little worked up. But um, he wants to know how the addition of Dexter Lawrence has provided more opportunities for Dalvin Tomlinson and BJ Hill. Yeah, Dexter Lawrence, they line him up at one tech and three tech. And the thing I love about him is he commands double teams. And I actually brought it up earlier in this podcast. Dexter Lawrence commanded the double team, which allowed Lorenzo Carter to be isolated against a tight end. And Carter abused Ryan Izzo on that play. So interior offensive lines need to pay attention to Dexter Lawrence's presence. And that has kind of opened up our opportunities all along the defensive line and the edge. And when he's out there, which he was out there for Tomlinson's big plays as well, so was B.J. Hill, that allowed Tomlinson to be in a 1v1 matchup against, I believe it was Shaq Mason on that play. And Tomlinson won that matchup. So he's kind of just allowing those other assets on the defensive front to be 
put into positions where they are going to be in 1v1 matchups because Dexter Lawrence, if he's in a 1v1 matchup, he's more than likely going to win. And offensive coordinators, offensive lines know that. No doubt about it, Nick. And Rohan asks us, are there any specific issues besides the lack of a running game that have resulted in somewhat poor performances for Daniel Jones over the last two games? Yes, schedule and the fact that his entire team is injured when it comes to his skilled position players and the fact that defensive coordinators do have some tape on him. Yeah, I think he's pretty spot on with that one, Rohan. I mean, we're facing, I mean, the Giants were playing the Patriots and the Vikings defenses. And like I said, there were injuries all over the skill position players. To me, I saw a lot of positives in both games from Jones um, in, in regards to development. I think it's just going to be, you know, something that we, we look at differently after a game like this week where he's going to play the Arizona Cardinals. And let's see, uh, Rohan also asks, looking ahead to the future, what positions of need do you see for the Giants this offseason? I would say tackles, centers, cornerbacks, safety, linebackers would like to add some edge as well. And bringing in another wide receiver body would be nice too. Yeah, Nick hit it spot on there. The Giants really need to revamp this inside linebacker corps for sure. And you could always use another edge rusher. They have a lot of positions of need, safety, um, obviously on the flip side, offensive tackle and center. I'm less so on wide receiver. I like the group they have in here. Um, I think, if anything, they take another shot on a fifth-round type like Darius Slayton. But um, I also really think the Giants could really benefit from an upgrade at the inline t- tight end position over Rhett Ellison. Um, he's just not what I wanted him to be. He actually had a really nice block in this game on that 10-yard game to start the third quarter for Hillman that I thought that Barkley might have broken for a touchdown. But overall, just haven't been totally impressed by him. All right, Nick, before we sign off today, let's do a little quick preview of the Cardinals. I am interested to see what you think of this matchup. I think it's going to be close, more of a shootout type. I would bet the over, and I think that the Giants will pull it out. But the Cardinals are an interesting team. They've really improved their pass blocking this year, in part because their system is so up-tempo, get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, But their run blocking is still struggling mightily, even though Justin Pugh's healthy and playing good football for them uh, on that offensive line, probably their standout player. And their pass rush has actually picked up in recent weeks, which is interesting because their pass defense was really struggling to begin the year. Overall, what do you think of what do you make of this matchup against the Cardinals? You see how the Patriots lined up in heavy personnel a lot. The Cardinals are going to be in like 10 personnel and things along those lines. So they're going to spread it out. And by the way, like 10 personnel, I don't mean to cut you off just for people who don't know, because we should make it clear. 10 personnel is four wide receivers and no tight ends. Yes, and a running back, and they like to spread it out as well, so they'll be off the numbers in those plus splits that I was talking about earlier, and I feel like they're going to run a lot of plays. It's going to be a lot of up-tempo. The Giants' conditioning is going to come into effect. This is a winnable matchup at home. Kyler Murray is going to be (laughs) such a bitch to contain because he is a phenomenal athlete, and he has an amazing arm, which is something that some people – Neglect to mention, they just talk about how he can scramble and how he can run. Now, his arm is on point, so the Giants' defense really needs to bring it just like they did against the Patriots. They need to get up for this game. I'm excited to watch it. It's a different kind of matchup against Cliff Kingsbury, who is the offensive coordinator, uh, the the offensive coach, I should say, that everybody's kind of talking about right now with the system, the air raid system that he brought in. So I'm excited to see this matchup see the Giants secondary against it. That's something that I'm a little concerned about. See if Christian Kirk can really carve up this team, but I hope the Giants can kind of figure it out and get this win at home. It gets a team they should win against, even though they are hot right now. Yeah. And then on the flip side, with the exception of really their pass rush, which has improved in recent weeks, the Cardinals, uh, uh, at least according to pro football focus are one of the worst teams this season so far in pass coverage, where 
They rank number 24. Overall, as a defense, they rank 25 per pro football focuses metrics. Um, and this is a defense that I think is exploited, can be exploited. I think this is a big matchup for Jones. He has to have a big week, regardless of if Barkley, Ingram, and Shepard play. I think even with the weapons he had last week against the Patriots, he needs to put up points in this matchup, and I think he will. So I think this is going to turn into a shootout, and I think it'll be an interesting game. But on that note, guys, thanks again for tuning into the podcast. We have some big things coming. An announcement is coming. You'll find it on Twitter. The show's going to change up a little bit for the better. The show's going to increase. There's going to be more shows. But we do appreciate your support as always. The best thing you can do to help us, if you do want to support the podcast, is tell your friends and family and any Giants fan you might know. Share it with anyone so we can help grow it. And just making sure you know that you can help us move up that algorithm on iTunes. Um, you can find me on Twitter as always at Dan Schneier NFL. And you can find Nick Filato on Twitter as well. Nick, tell, tell us where uh, we can find you. Yes, that's just at Nick Filato, F-A-L-A-T-O. Yeah, and as you guys can see, we've posted a lot of clips this week, and we're going to try to keep putting more of these breakdowns on Twitter. So follow us there for more of that. And as always, as I like to sign this bad boy off, go Giants. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.